Let's read from Luke 3, 15 through 17. These are John the Baptist's words as Jesus comes um, to be baptized. This is leading up to Jesus' baptism. He hasn't started his public ministry yet. But John the Baptist, as we know, is a voice in the wilderness, making straight the paths of the Lord. And he says this to say about Jesus. He says, the people, well, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, look, I baptize you with water, but one who is, who is more powerful than I will come. The straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Today, I want to proclaim this good news to us. It is that Jesus, in the season of Epiphany, following Christmas, where, where, we, where God is revealed to be like Jesus. Jesus is revealed to be like an unquenchable fire. It's not a fire that destroys us, but it's a fire that destroys what's killing us. A fire that is unrelentingly purifying us, resulting in wholeness and healing in everyone and everything it touches. Jesus is an unquenchable fire. And this is good news. Throughout scripture, God is compared to a fire. He is, he is presented as a fire. Have you ever noticed this? I've been uh, paying attention to this most recently. That all throughout scripture, God is compared to and portrayed as fire. Now, fire is terrifying. Fire is dangerous. Fire, we, in our, in our minds, we are taught to fear it from a young child. Fear fire. Don't touch fire. Don't go near the fire. Don't fall into the fire. Fire is something that we can't tame. Fire is something that can cause pain. And so, there's an invitation here to imagine fire with God revealed in Jesus. Jesus changes what fire is like. Jesus changes our experience of fire. When we come into relationship with Jesus, we can experience the fire of God in a way that is healing, transformative, and restoring. Let's just look real quick at God as portrayed of a fire. I'm going to go like a zip. You can write these down. It's going to be like faster than nobody's business through the scriptures here. But Genesis 15, God appears as fire to Abraham, as a blazing torch. In Exodus 3, he appears to Moses as a burning bush, but the bush is not consumed. In Exodus 19 and Exodus 24, the glory of God on Mount Zion, as the people of Israel gather before the, the mountain, the, the glory of God is a fire. And everyone is terrified to approach the fire. Uh, but Moses, Moses goes up into the fire. And Moses isn't consumed, but he comes back down, transformed, changed. He's glowing. Chapter 40 of Exodus, God is a pillar of fire by night, hovering over the tabernacle. In Deuteronomy 4, 24, God is a consuming fire. And this is repeated and reaffirmed in Hebrews 12, 29, the same picture of God. Our God is a consuming fire. 
What does this mean? God is fire. God is a consuming fire. In Judges, God appears in, in a fi- as a fire consuming the sacrifices. In 1 Kings 18, Elisha prays to God who answers by fire. He says, he says, let the God who answers by fire be God as he challenges Baal. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he appears as a chariot of fire in such brightness that like, he can't even look. And Ezekiel falls on his face and says, I am undone before this fire. And in Ezekiel 8, the angel of the Lord is on fire coming from the presence of the Lord. In Daniel 7, there's a river of fire from the flowing from the throne of the Lord. Matthew 3, we're almost there. Matthew 3, Jesus is described as a refining fire. And in Luke, the passage we just read, as an unquenchable fire that will baptize us in fire. Baptism is completely, in our view, submersion, right? Sprinkling with fire, that's still good imagery. Baptism of fire, consumed of fire. Luke 12, Jesus says, I have come, what? To bring fire on the earth. Second Thessalonians 1, he comes in flaming fire. God comes in flaming fire. In Revelation 4, the seven spirits of God, which It's symbolic of the wholeness and fullness of God, the number seven, the full presence of God represented as seven flaming torches, one in each church addressed. Why fire? What does fire represent? Fire represents refinement. It represents purifying. It's a purifying um, force in the world. It it represents God's passion and his passionate love and purpose in the world that can't be extinguished, that consumes whatever he comes into contact with. It represents the multiplication of God's kingdom and and the, the fact that fire takes over, multiplies. You, if I lit something here, it would, it would stay there and be another fire, flame. These candles are all fake, but except for that one. That one's real. It multiplies. And then fire. Listen, this is what's powerful. Whatever you put into fire becomes fire. You ever watch fire? You watch a, 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 an iron, piece of iron or metal put into fire and it begins to glow. The fire, it becomes, catches fire. A log catches fire. Jesus is revealed to be like an unquenchable fire, not a fire that destroys us, but a fire that destroys what is killing us a fire that unrelentingly purifies, resulting in wholeness and healing to everyone and everything he touches. We've been talking about openness. And remember, I was supposed to talk about how we ought to live lives of open doors, open tables, open hands, lives of radical hospitality to one another and to our neighbors. But I realized that, wait, before we can open our lives up to one another and to our neighborhood, to anyone, to bear fruit, we have to first open ourselves up to God. We have to open ourselves up to the presence of Jesus at work in our life. We have to be open to Jesus, connected to the vine, to remain, simply remain in the love of Jesus that remains with us. And part of being open to God, part of being open to the love that remains with us, to remaining in that love, is to be open to 
God's love as an unquenchable, consuming fire. We have to be open to the fire of God's love to purify, refine, and restore and heal us. We have to be open to the fire of God that consumes everything that is not hospitable to his presence. And that can be scary. God desires to heal us. Like a surgeon, he must cut out of our lives and burn away that which is killing us. He wants to burn out what is killing us. He doesn't want to burn us. He wants to burn out what is killing us so that we would be healed. He heals us without destroying us. A friend of mine preached a sermon on fire, Gino Cucurudo. I've got this quote up here. Um, the love of God, he says, arrives like a fire and loves unto purity and wholeness. All that is not beautiful in the beloved of God will be purified so that God might be at home in us and we may fully be at home in God. The love of God is a fire and that love loves unto purity. When we remain in love of God, we're not just talking about warm, fuzzy feelings. We are talking about opening ourselves up to the fire of God that is his love. And for those who receive it, it is joy. To those who resist it, it is pain. I just want to echo a couple of the early church fathers on this. This is how they viewed God's love. This is how they viewed even hell as God's love. And that gets a little deep. We'll have a sermon on that someday. But they viewed God's love as a fire. Here is Ephraim the Syrian, okay? 306 AD. The fire of grace has come down and has consumed utterly our offenses and has cleansed and hollowed our bodies. Can you imagine just the, all the stuff in you that you that causes pain in you and causes pain in the world being consumed up, eaten up, burned away. Here is Gregory of Nazianzus, one of the um, great church fathers. He says, let us be aided by the good coals. And he references Isaiah 6, 6, kindling and purifying our minds from him that comes to send fire on the earth, referencing Jesus, and that shall destroy not us, but all our evil habits and to hasten its kindling, whatsoever there be of solid and nourishing in the word shall be eaten with the inward parts and hidden things in the mind and shall be consumed and given up to spiritual digestion. I, from head, from head to foot, that is from the first contemplations of the Godhead to the very last thoughts about the incarnation. What's he saying there? It's a lot. He's saying, as we remain in the love of God, as we open ourselves up to the presence of Jesus, he will be a fire, the good coals, the kind of coal that touched Isaiah's lips and purified his lips and enabled him to proclaim the good news to people. This is the good fire, the good fire. Augustine, oh God, you are a consuming fire that can burn away their love for these things, presumably the bad things, and recreate the men in immortal life. And then he speaks of his own life. I have been divided until I flow together unto you, purged and molten in the fire of your love, the fire of God's love. 
We need the fire of God's love. Jesus is revealed to be the unquenchable fire of God's love, a fire that, that destroys not our bodies, but destroys that which is in us that is killing us. A fire that unrelentingly purifies, resulting in wholeness and healing to everyone and everything he touches. And so I want to talk a little bit about consenting and surrendering to this fire, to opening ourselves up to this fire, because the fire of God's love is, uh, like I said, wonderful, beautiful, healing, restorative, freeing, if we'll open ourselves up to it. But if we resist it, it's torture. It's painful. It's, it's unbearable. God doesn't change. Our receptivity to God changes. Will we receive his love? Will we allow the love to do the work? If I hold on to something, I was trying to think of a good analogy, but just have to, if I've got this picture of someone, there's got to be a movie somewhere of a guy holding like something super hot, right? And it burning, I've just got a vision of like burning and branding his hand or something. But if you grab onto something that is hot and is being heated, I can choose to let go, let that fire release it from my life, or I can identify with this thing. Maybe it's a precious metal that I don't want to let go, and I can hold on to it. I can keep holding on to it as it heats up and heats up until it burns me and burns me up. It takes me with it if I identify with it, if I stay attached to the thing that is being burned away, and it becomes a, a, a torture and a torment to me. But if we'll let it go, we'll be free of it. We'll be free of death, free of the desires that corrupt us and, and um, corrupt others because we hurt others with that which hurts us. The sin in us contributes to the sin in the world. The sickness in us perpetuates the sickness in the world. And so we need to receive the healing of God. And I want to just end with this Please, I know reading comprehension, listening comprehension is in our strong suit in America, but listen to this story from C.S. Lewis. A, a, um, this is a section in The Great Divorce, and this is how C.S. Lewis viewed the love of God and even heaven and hell. Here is a dream in which the lost have been taken on a bus ride. They're taking a tour from hell into the foothills of heaven, all right? This is what the premise of the book is. There's a little field trip to heaven from hell. And as they approach the kingdom of heaven, um, uh, many begin to are shown the sights and the sounds and the beauty of heaven, but most start to criticize heaven, start to argue about it. They don't want it. They want to get back on the bus and leave. They want to go back to hell because their desires aren't formed to want to desire heaven. But some are intrigued and some choose to stay and some choose to be changed by the love of God that is there. Now listen to this story as the narrator watches a scene unfold. He said, I saw coming towards us a ghost, a visitor from hell, who carried something on his shoulder like all the ghosts. He was insubstantial. But they differed from one another as smokes differ. Some had been whitish. This one was dark and oily. 
what sat on his shoulder was a little red lizard. And it was twitching its tail like a whip, whispering things in his ear. As we caught sight of him, he turned his head to the reptile with a snarl of impatience. Shut up, I tell you, he said. It wagged its tail and it continued to whisper to him. He ceased snarling and he, presently he began to smile. Then he turned and he started to limp westward away from the mountains of heaven. Off so soon, said a voice. The speaker was more or less human in shape, but larger than a man and so bright that I could hardly look at him. His presence smote on my eyes and on my body too, for there was heat coming from him as well as light, like the morning sun at the beginning of a tyrannous summer day. Yes, I'm off, said the ghost. Thanks for all your hospitality, but it's no good, you see. I told this little chap, here he indicated the lizard, that he'd have to be quiet if he came, which he insisted on doing. Of course, his stuff won't do here. I realize that, but he won't stop. I shall just have to go home. Would you like me to take, make him quiet, said the flaming spirit, an angel, as I now understood. Of course I would, said the ghost. Then I will kill him, said the angel, taking a step forward. Oh, oh, oh look, look out, look out. You're burning me. Keep away, said the ghost, retreating. Don't you want him killed? You didn't, you didn't say anything about killing him at first. I, I hardly meant to bother you with anything so drastic as that. It's the only way, said the angel, whose burning hands were now very close to the lizard. Shall I kill it? Well, that's a, that's a further question. I'm quite open to consider it, but it's a new point, isn't it? I, I mean, for the moment, I was only thinking about silencing it because up here, well, it's so damned embarrassing. I can say damned because the kids are gone, right? May I kill it? Well, there is some time to discuss that later. There is no time. May I kill it? Please, I never want meant to be such a nuisance. Please, really, don't bother. Look, it's gone to sleep of its own accord. Look, I'm sure it'll be all right now. Thanks ever so much. May I kill it? Honestly, I don't think there's a slightest necessity for that. I'm sure I shall be able to keep it in order now. I think the gradual process would be far better than killing it. The gradual process is of no use at all. Don't you think so? Well, I think over what you've said very, I'll think over what you said very carefully. I honestly will. In fact, I'd let you kill it now, but as a matter of fact, I'm not feeling frightfully well. I think I've got COVID symptoms. It would be silly to do it now. I need, I need to be in good health for the operation. So some other day, perhaps. There is no other day. All days are present now. Get back. You're burning me. How can I tell you to kill it? You'd kill me if you did. It is not so. Why, you're hurting me now. I never said it wouldn't hurt you. I said it wouldn't kill you. Oh, I know. You think I'm a coward, but it isn't that. Really, it isn't. I say, let me run back by tonight's bus and get an opinion from my own doctor. I'll come again the first moment I can. 
This moment contains all moments. Why are you torturing me? You are jeering at me. How can I let you tear me to pieces? If you wanted to help me, why didn't you kill the damn thing without asking me? Before I knew, it would have been over by now if you had. I cannot kill it against your will. It is impossible. Have I your permission? The angel's hands were almost closed on the lizard, but not quite. Then the lizard began chattering to the ghost so loud that even I could hear what it was saying. Be careful, it said. He can do what he says. He can kill me. One fatal word from you and he will. Then you'll be without me forever and ever. It's not natural. How could you live? You'd only be a sort of ghost, not a real man as you are now. He doesn't understand. It may be natural for him, but it isn't for us. Yes, yes, I know. There are no real pleasures now, only dreams, but there aren't they better than nothing? It'll be so good. I admit, I've sometimes gone too far in the past, but I promise I won't do it again. I'll give you nothing but really nice dreams, all sweet and fresh and almost innocent. Have I your permission, said the angel to the ghost. I know it will kill me. It won't. But supposing it did. You're right. It would be better to be dead than to live with this creature. Then I may. Damn and blast you. Go on, can't you? Get it over. Do what you like, bellowed the ghost, but ended whimpering. God help me, God help me, God help me. Next moment, the ghost gave a scream of agony, such as I have never heard on earth. The burning one closed his crimson grip on the reptile, twisting it while it bit and writhed and then flung it broken back and flung on the turf. Ow, ow, that's done for me, gasped the ghost, reeling backwards. For a moment, I could make out nothing distinctly. Then I saw between me and the nearest bush, unmistakably solid, but growing every moment solider, the upper arm and the shoulder of a man, then brighter and still stronger, the legs and the hands, the neck and golden head materialized while I watched. The actual completing of a man, an immense man, naked, not much smaller than an angel. And then what distracted me was the fact that at the same moment, something seemed to be happening to the lizard. At first, I thought the operation had failed. So far from dying, the creature was still struggling and even growing bigger as it struggled. And as it grew, it changed. Its hinder parts grew rounder. The tail, still flickering, became a tail of hair that flickered between huge and glossy buttocks. <clears throat> Suddenly, I started back, rubbing my eyes. What stood before me was the greatest stallion I had ever seen. Silvery, white, but with mane and tail of gold. It was smooth and shining and rippled with swells of flesh and muscle, winning and stamping with its hooves. Each stamp of the land, it shook the trees, and they trembled. And the new-made man turned and clapped the new horse's neck. It nosed its bright body. Horse and master breathed each into one another's nostrils. The man turned from it, flung himself at, at the feet of the burning one and embraced them. When he rose, I thought his face shone with tears, but it may have been only the liquid love and brightness which flowed from him. I had not long to think about it. In joyous haste, the young man leapt upon the horse's back. Turning in his seat, he waved a farewell. Then he nudged the stallion with his heels, and they were off before I well knew what was happening. There was riding, if you like. I came out as quickly as I could among the bushes to follow them. 
with my eyes, but they were already gone. I think you can connect the dots, but I'll try to connect some for you. The red lizard is that sin, that habit, that desire, that source of security that we latch on to, that we know is killing us, but is also our strange comfort and our strange security. We know it's making us miserable, but we are too afraid to let it go. We've identified with it. And, and, and this man, this ghost, was afraid, and he felt the burning presence of the Spirit of God coming towards him, and it, it caused him pain, and it caused him fear, and he had to decide, will he trust God's love to burn away that which is killing him? Will he trust that God's love is better than the strange comfort and security of the lizard that's killing him, the sin, the desire? Notice the angel says, I can't do it without your permission. God doesn't force his love on us. He doesn't force his purity on us. He doesn't force anything on us. We must consent to his consuming fire. We must relent, surrender, and open ourselves up to his love. And when we do, we will burn. And we all that destroys us and destroys those that we love will be burned away. We will be refined. And so let me just ask you this question. What is your red lizard? What's the thing? What's the desire? What's the relationship? The habit? The addiction? That you just, you know needs killing, but you don't want God to kill it. You know needs burning and surgically, surgical removal, but you're afraid of the chemo. If we remain in the love of God, we remain in the burning fire of his love. And if we consent to that love to burn away what is uh, all that is not hospitable to him, that will be our joy. We'll rise up like new men and women. We'll rise up and even the thing killing us will be transformed into a great stallion and there will be true joy. But will we trust Jesus to do that? Jesus is revealed to be like an unquenchable fire, not a fire that destroys us, but that destroys what is killing us. A fire that unrelentingly purifies, resulting in wholeness and healing to everyone and everything it touches.